Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Let's get it. Tarek, heads or tails? I will take tails. Tails. Now let's just give it to you. It's tails today, guys. All right, so James Conner resigned in Arizona. That's two more years in the desert, three years, $21 million. Chase Edmonds left the desert for some more sand on Miami Beach, signing with the Dolphins for two years, $12.61 million. And uh, I'm sure they worked in some shysty under-the-table fumble bonuses for him. Tarek, if you are uh, between these two in Dynasty, which way are you going? Who would you rather have for the next two years, James Conner or Chase Edmonds? Yeah, it's actually really tough. I mean, I think there's an obvious answer, and I'm probably going to end up going with the obvious answer in James Conner just because... You know, they're both like fringe RB2s in Dynasty, but I think James Conner, as he demonstrated last year, has the best chance of like um, having an RB1 season over Edmonds. Um, But at the same time, like I do recognize that Conner's production was heavily propped up by touchdowns last year on some pretty bad efficiency. But um, I'm still going to go with Conner because, you know, these are guys that are past the age of 25 and you just kind of have to take it year by year right now. And in a redraft, I'm drafting Conner over Edmonds. John, are you going to lean Edmonds? I'll let you I'll let you team up with Tarek this time if you want. No, and I actually wouldn't. I think I would prefer Edmonds in Dynasty right now just because uh, Connor, he's uh, he's. He's made of glass, as they say. Uh, This is less about Evans and more about Connor. I'm afraid that over the next two years that he might not play a full 16 games in even two years. So that's my major concern. And there's something to be said for Edmonds going to a new coaching staff. Like this was a major acquisition they made. It's one of the first moves they made as a new coaching staff. So you know that they want him to be there. And there's something to be said for that. So, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about the younger guy uh, in Edmonds right now. Yeah, you'd have to think Edmonds would be the lead guy there in Miami. Uh, Gaskin is going to be part of the rotation and the rest of the guys, I guess. But I don't know. I, I, I'm with you, Tarek, on uh, James Conner. I think that's the easy answer. But it's just a, a better team where he already he earned that contract. He re-signed it, right? And they let Edmonds go. So I feel like I have to air with Conner and eat all the words that I put out there last year. I continue to eat them. They're delicious. Yeah, I mean, in terms of dynasty value, this was great for both of them, right? Um, I think both of them take a little bump, at least in the short term here. Um, I know that in like best ball drafts, which is probably the most, you know, precise market for the 2022 season um, that we have right now. These guys were going like RB 36 to RB 40, like really close together. So that value is going to be really good for both of them. But I think... You know, the draft is going to tell a lot. I could see both Miami and Arizona drafting someone on day two. Um, Maybe, you know, even especially with Miami, like even if somebody like Isaiah Spiller fell to them or Brees Hall fell to them, I could see them, you know, pulling that trigger and Chase Edmonds kind of still being like a complimentary back to a bigger back. Right. Uh, Like he was last year with James Conner. Um, and same thing with, uh, Arizona, like they could easily take James cook in the third round or something like that. Right. So, um, there's still a lot to be determined, but in the short term, uh, this is a, this is a nice value bump for both of these guys. And honestly, um, where I don't have James Conner anywhere where I have chase Edmonds, I've been, you know, sending out offers to sell, um, 
at no bites yet. And I, and I think people understand that the, this is going to come with a value bump. So people aren't going to buy high. I think if you're like me, you're waiting till after the draft, after the NFL draft, I'm not going to be making a move for a running back that is likely going to be part of a committee until I see where at least some of those rookies shake out, you know? Yeah. By uh, trying to get running backs on your dynasty roster at this point in time is risky business it's a gamble that can pay off but probably won't yeah i, I i'm a big fan well i'll temper that i am more of a fan of chase He's edmonds a regular fan as a player yeah, i am a regular fan <laughs> of chase edmonds um over james connor uh, i just think the team investment in james connor essentially arizona choosing connor over edmonds um and the fact that connor had such a surprisingly good year last year makes me lean that direction but uh, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for Edmonds. I I love that backhanded shit, dude. <laughs> we love to hate James Conner on this pod, Tarek. Yeah, is, I, you can't can't even give him that. No, he's a regular fan of Edmonds more than Conner. <laughs> yeah, that's a good good distillation. I yeah, James Conner is my least favorite player. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benshuya. With me today, John Alexander is back and Mitch Yates. Um, ju- it's no longer just the two of us, Mitch, but how are you doing? Well, it's all right. We'll we'll sing just the three of us, a, a TLG <laughs> original. I'm doing I'm doing good, guys. Uh, I like this. We've been uh, enjoying the spring break, doing this early in the afternoon recording thing. Yeah, John, w- welcome back, man. It's it's good to have you back. I think it's been two weeks, right? It's been two weeks. Uh, has anything interesting happened in the dynasty landscape in the last two weeks? I have yeah, I haven't been paying very attention little at news. All. Yeah, N- nothing at Not all. Not like a news of Palooza happened last week or anything. No- yeah, nothing not- interesting. Yeah, when I listened, to y'all were having a lot of fun, and I, I was a little sad I missed it. It's good to be back. I'm looking forward to this one. We got some. Yeah. We got some more news of Palooza. Me, me, and Mitch had that one-on-one show last week, and we went for 75 minutes. So uh, let's. Let's see uh, how long we can stretch this one out because we got a lot to get to today. So speaking of which, uh, today, first thing we're going to do in the first half is react to the highest kind of impact free agent signings. And then in the second half, we want to start talking about the 2022 rookie class. And we're going to start with the quarterbacks, right? So, you know, just a disclaimer, because the NFL news cycle is so crazy right now, there may be free agents that sign between the time that we record and the time that we post. So and, you know, we're not going to get to all of them because we also really want to start digging into rookies ahead of the NFL draft. So I'm going to stop talking. And without further ado, let's talk some free agents and kick off this first half. All right. So Free agent signings uh, here in March of 2022. And the first thing that I want to talk about is just the overall Jacksonville Jaguars spend a palooza. They kind of went crazy on day one. I I feel like the Jaguars have done that a couple of times. Uh, They signed Christian Kirk to a four year deal that could be worth all the way up to eighty four million dollars. It's probably closer to like a two year deal worth about like thirty seven, thirty eight 
or so, but still a lot of money for Christian Kirk. They also signed Evan Ingram, the tight end, to a one-year $9 million contract, and then Zay Jones to a three-year $24 million base contract. I think that can go up to $30 million. So I just want to ask kind of as a, as a whole, what do we think about this moves? Obviously, it kind of seems like the Jags were intent on overhauling the offense. And, you know, maybe they had to offer a lot of money for guys to choose them over more attractive spots. But John, what do you think? Yeah, Jacksonville sucks. They're going to have to overpay every time, right? <clears throat> no choice there. But no, I, it, the, the moves are they if you take them by themselves, Evan Ingram's kind of meh. Christian Kirk's pretty meh. Zay Jones is like double meh. But the none of those guys really matter to me. The message that's being sent and the, the clearest message of all to me is that they are trying to surround Trevor Lawrence with guys that can help him win. This is all about Trevor Lawrence for me. I, none of these guys that you just mentioned, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, None of their values change at all for me in terms of dynasty. It's all about Trevor Lawrence. And this is just making me feel a lot better that Trevor Lawrence is going to get every chance to succeed. And I've been ranking him pretty highly as QB eight in my rankings. And this sends the message to me that Jacksonville is going to do everything that they can to make sure he reaches his ceiling. And that gives me a lot of hope. What? These guys, these guys are giving you lots of hope. That, Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and Christian. Okay, I like Christian Kirk. I like the Christian Kirk signing. I don't love that he's the what third highest paid wide receiver or something. Yeah, if he silly. maxes out the contract, right? But even if you look at the base salary, he's still top ten. It's but, crazy. It's wild. But Evan Ingram, fantasy wise, like it, the downside there is he's playing next to another pass catching tight end. So I agree with you there. That's just meh right like I, you can't be happy for dan arnold or evan ingram uh zay jones uh you guys shamed me for saying go pick up zay jones and <laughs> yeah, yeah we did guess, definitely we did. guess what boys victory <laughs> lap time uh keep trade cut has zay jones all the way up to wide receiver 100 oh yeah <laughs> that's right you could almost get a third round pick for him so uh jokes on you guys but uh no that that signing's weird it's one of those cedric wilson type deals where you're seeing a lot of money going to players that you didn't really expect i think uh last year kendrick Bourne comes to mind as far as fantasy goes a uh, hundred's quite low i will say that's too low but I could see Zay Jones being uh, like absolutely rosterable and occasionally startable, but I mean, wide receiver three or four is about the tops where he's going to be. So, no, I Kirk Kirk is good. Like I said, I I think that he and Trevor Lawrence could work something out and maybe become a good duo. But I think this says a lot too for uh, the Lavisca Chenault truthers out there. I think uh, I don't think there's too many of those left. Yeah, I mean, the word is is that he's potentially on the trading block. So, I mean, he could find a new situation in which, like, maybe, like, a new environment will help him reach the potential that, you know, some of us thought he had coming into the NFL. I know John didn't think that he had much, um, but <laughs> no. uh, we'll see if he ends up getting moved. I mean, what's interesting about this is um, Kirk Ingram and Jones to a certain extent. I know Jones kind of moved to the outside uh, to kind of take Henry Ruggs' place, but a lot a lot of these guys are kind of known for being slot guys, which is what LaVisca Chenault was as well, right? And I look at this Christian Kirk signing, and I'm wondering, like, 
Does this mean that we can expect a 1000 yard season from Christian Kirk for the first time in his entire career? Right? Like this is insane. He's getting $20 million a year and he hasn't had a 1000 yard season yet. You'd think he'd be the one though, the wide receiver one there. You'd think that Trevor Lawrence would have to lean on him. Like that's his guy now. So, I mean, that's probably what I would project. Um, I think there's, I hear you, Mitch, when you say there's downside with Evan Ingram because he's going to be lining up with Dan Arnold, who is also a pass catching tight end. I mean, I think there's some upside there too, just because Trevor Lawrence showed that he was willing to target kind of meh tight ends last year. And then they got Doug Peterson coming in, whose offense really highlights the tight end position. So, I think there is a chance, like if Evan Ingram succeeds, that we could get like a top 12 tight end season out of him. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to necessarily bet on it, but he's not, you know, he's not an expensive dynasty asset. But at the same time, maybe if you've been holding on to the Evan Ingram bag, this is an opportunity for you to sell. No, I I feel you, man. I I really would like Ingram better if he just like could catch or play football yeah you know? i don't I, I don't think he is a good football player honestly <laughs> i got into kind of an argument on twitter about it like yes he he has drawn targets in his career that he's done very little with and he is an athletic which we like for our tight ends but i like legitimately don't think he's good i think he's like eric ebron at best mm-hmm. right um okay so that's all the jags and speaking of the jags the next guy i want to talk about is a former jaguar <laughs> Uh, DJ Chark, who signed a one-year $10 million deal with the Detroit Lions. So he kind of signs a prove-it deal in the mold of Will Fuller last year. We'll see if that works out uh, as well as it did for Will Fuller. But the big conversation on Twitter, honestly, over the last 24 to 48 hours is whether this is bad or good for Amon Ross St. Brown, kind of the dynasty darling of the Lions. I mean, it seems like Detroit probably adds another pass pass catcher in the draft and potentially on day one if I'm reading the tea leaves. But Mitch, what do you think about this Chark signing? Well, so far, good or bad, it's pretty easy for me. I'd say it's a good thing. I actually believe it's neutral, but neutral is good here. So good for Amon Ra because they're not bringing in a bona fide stud on a big wide receiver one contract. They're bringing in DJ Chark to tie the room together like it's a one year deal. Yeah. Who cares? Right. So even if he does ball out this year, that could still be good for Amon Ross St. Brown, but it, it doesn't really matter how how it goes for DJ Chark. Now, uh, DJ Car- uh, excuse me, DJ Chark currently on keep trade cut is wide receiver fifty, so I guess that means he's literally twice as good as Zay Jones. I think that math checks out, John. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I don't. I don't love it for him. I don't love it for him personally. How could you love going to the Lions on a one year prove it deal like Jared Goff? Like, he's not playing in L.A. anymore, so I don't think that he can support more than one wide receiver. And Amon Ra is going to be that focus up and up until they show us something different, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think this is good for Amon Ra just because Chark does something different that Amon Ra doesn't. Where I mean, they play two very different roles in the receiving. For sure. Like, yeah. Amon Ra is playing closer to the line of scrimmage. G.J. Shark is going to try to stretch it downfield. Uh, whether it's not good or bad for DJ Chark, I think it depends. So, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here. I think we're all assuming that the Lions are going to draft a QB. So if he can establish a a relationship with a young quarterback, then it could be really good for him. But it could also just fall flat on his face. And uh, I don't know. I I think a few weeks ago I said, 
offseason buy was DJ Chark, and I've got mixed feelings about this. I, I, I feel better about him on Raw, but I'm kind of neutral on DJ Chark's move right now. Yeah, DJ Chark is like a career 16 to 20% target share guy. And down the stretch, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was drawing, you know, an elite target share. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, as you know, maybe in the 24% range. So, and like both of you said, like Chark plays on the outside, he stretches the field and he is a big, fast dude, right? So I think ultimately, like if I'm on one side of the fence, I think this is great for Amon Ross St. Brown. Mm -hmm. I will say, like I said in the intro to this, you know, segment, I do think Detroit is going to draft someone day two, like early day two at the latest. Like they need more pass catchers. They need more weapons on the outside. So if they draft somebody who profiles as being like a slot weapon, like a Traylon Burks or something like that, then, you know, my projection for Amon Ross St. Brown is going to take a hit. But for now, I don't think there's any reason to panic. And yeah, I mean... DJ Chark as wide receiver, wide receiver 50 on keep trade cut. I mean, I I wouldn't mind getting Chark as a throw in in a deal. Like he's still a young guy. He still can stretch the field. Um, he's, you know, very fast for his size. So if Chark were like a throw in in a larger trade, I, I wouldn't mind that at, at that price point. Yeah, I don't know if I'm trying to get rid of him. I don't know. I'm probably a hold on Chark currently yeah. because his value took a pretty big hit just on paper people see lions they don't like that and so yeah. he's kind of a hold until he starts playing football and starts starts putting up points i mean we're all assuming that he's going to be a better wide receiver than josh reynolds and i think that's an open question at this point as well he might not even be the wide receiver too on that team which is kind of weird to think about they signed raymond as well too so you know khalif raymond they re-signed yeah. him mm -hmm. okay all right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we know that Hawk was injured at the end of the year. Swift was in and out of the lineup. So, I mean, honestly, like if they draft another receiver with their running back core and their offensive line, that's actually like a low key, pretty good offense from a weapons standpoint and like an infrastructure standpoint. Obviously, like Jared Goff ain't it though, right? So it'll be interesting to see what that team does. And I also really like Dan Campbell, actually, which I'm surprised to say a year later, but uh, I like what the Lions are doing. I, I think I think they're building something interesting. Yeah, I think they're building it the right way. Something sustainable. All right. So next thing we want to talk about was Mitch Trubisky signing a two year, 14 million dollar deal in Pittsburgh. So I've I've seen Mitchburg, I've seen True Trupitsky. <laughs> Trupitsky. Um, so yeah, uh Titty Boy, welcome to Pittsburgh. Um smells to me kind of like a Mike Glennon type bridge deal, right? So but anyway, putting that aside, let's assume that the man who likes to kiss titties starts every game in 2022 for the Steelers. How does this make you feel about the Najee Harris's, the Deontay Johnson's, and the Chase Claypool's of the world, John? Let me preface this by saying that's probably not a great assumption. I, I think it's likely they're going quarterback, and I think uh -huh. it's not even a guarantee that he's better than Mason Rudolph. So I just want to preface all right, well, everything. Play, play my game, John. Play <laughs> I want to preface all of that by saying I'm not sure he ever sees the field. But that being said, <laughs> he is clearly an upgrade over the statue that was Ben Roethlisberger. So 
I, it's got to be better for the offense as a whole. That said, I'm not sure it's better for Najee Harris. Najee Harris getting a lot of passing work. Uh, if we think back to the time with Mitch Trubisky and David Montgomery, I don't remember. I, I guess maybe with uh, Cohen, he was passing to Cohen a lot. And he made uh, yeah. Cohen a ru- running back one at one point in time. But I think that's probably not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting Najee Harris to get a little bit less of the passing work and maybe instead of... It's it's hard to get more of the passing work than what he was getting. (laughs) Sure, but Trubisky can run, so I think we're expecting Trubisky to run in some of those situations where Ben, you know, couldn't lift a foot or whatever. Uh, That said, I I haven't really changed my opinion, my outlook of Claypool or Deontay Johnson just yet. So I think those two are probably about the same right now. Let's see what what happens, and then maybe Najee Harris gets a slight tick down, but it wouldn't be a huge one. So, for me. so I'm Mitch. I'm gonna let you finish, but uh, when you say about the same, you mean like Deontay borderline wide receiver one in Dynasty, and Chase Claypool kind of borderline wide receiver two, or like I just what yeah, do you mean I, when you say about the th- same? Th- that's an excellent question. Yeah, I've got Deontay right in there in the ten to fifteen range, and I've got Claypool probably the twenty to twenty five range, and that's where I expect them to be this season, regardless of who the quarterback is. And then if they do end up with a rookie, then maybe that goes a different direction next season. Okay. So, yeah, I got a couple of things. I, I agree with you, John, on Najee's value. I, I think that you skirted around it, but um, Mr. Trubisky does also affect Najee's rushing upside as well with Trubisky's rushing. Uh, I think that will, like, cap his touchdown potential. And, I mean, mm-hmm. even take down some of those carries. Like, Najee was used a lot last year so um and as far as Deontay and Claypool go I don't think it necessarily the signing of Mitch Trubisky affects their uh like their rankings necessarily like you said but I do think that it takes away some of the hope that they were going to sign somebody better than Trubisky so uh, they like, could still draft Pickett they could still draft right? but they're not going to bring in a guy like Watson right like mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's kind of off the table so like that sort of narrative isn't working anymore so um in my mind this is a good uh, at, at maybe the slightest buy window for Deontay and Claypool just because the situation doesn't look great at quarterback kind of how it was uh there's less perceived upside even though I I do think like highly of both of those players still Deontay obviously much more than Claypool yeah I I think from like a Najee perspective you can take the narrative of a mobile quarterback affecting a running back in many different ways right like some people will say that having a mobile quarterback opens up rushing lanes for the running back right so they'll actually be more efficient and efficiency is something that Najee struggled with we know he got the volume Mm -hmm. right um and then yeah uh John mentioned it. I mean, in 2018, when Tariq Cohen was playing with uh, Mitch Trubisky, he got 71 receptions that year, right? So I think there's not going to be as many dump-offs, right? Um, But if they're still game-planning Najee into the passing offense, I think we can expect a regression from the amount of volume he got last year. But I'm still, you know, like I'm lower on Najee than consensus. I have him like my dynasty running back seven. And this this isn't changing anything for me for any of them, really. Um, Yeah, I I just think like Trubisky overall is a better player than Ben. So the offense should be able to move a little bit better. I mean, hopefully they're able to 
you know, fix the offensive line a little bit more, but Trubisky being a more mobile player, actually it, it may help with their offensive line woes. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, kind of hold Pat on everyone, right? I mean, it's not I- extremely interesting insight, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I, and the the guy we, we didn't mention was Pat Fryermuth, and I don't think mm-hmm. this changes for anything for him either. I think he's the exact same guy that he was last season, and this doesn't change a single thing for him. Yeah, may, maybe. I mean, Ben hyper-targeted Fryermuth in the red zone, right? So we don't know if Trubisky's going to do that, and that was a huge part of Fryermuth's value. So I definitely wouldn't see this as a bump for Patty F., uh, but, you know, neutral to maybe a little bit of a ding. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So last thing we want to talk about before we get into our halftime segment in which we will be talking more free agents. But um, the Bucks made some interesting moves in their receiver room. So they gave a pretty nice sized bag to Russell Gage coming from the Falcons. I think they gave him what, what like a three year, $30 million deal um, to go to Tampa Bay and then Brashad Perriman also signed a one-year deal as well. So with Chris Godwin getting that late ACL tear, um, it looks like Tampa Bay kind of prioritized um, depth at the receiver position at, with Godwin's injury and you know Antonio Brown going off the rails. Uh, so Mitch, what do you think about the wide receiver moves here in Tampa Bay now that Tom Brady is back? Well, I don't think it says a lot for the younger guys on the wide receiver group there. Uh, It looks like they're bringing in some more veterans, and that seems to be Bruce Arians' game anyway, is bringing in veterans and airing towards them over the the young guys. But the, the young guys also had some opportunity there at the end of the year last year when Antonio Brown waved goodbye and whatnot, and they didn't look that great then either. So I I see the moves as... Uh, just not really great for anybody involved. Like, it's not to say go grab Brashard Perryman. Now, Russell Gage is the other guy in this conversation, and I've touched on him in previous episodes, and I I just don't think he's a very good player, and I I will stick to that now, but the, that's a pretty sizable contract as well. So yeah, uh, one thing I will say is, like, he might have some use this year upcoming, but... I can't really project that further than this year. You can't think that Tom Brady is going to come back again, again next year. And Are you sure, Mitch? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. But Gage is going to get phased out as soon as Godwin comes back. I don't know. Perhaps I'm misreading the Gage thing. I just, I don't think he's good. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I saw Matt Harmon tweet that like Russell Gage is like an underrated player. I, I honestly don't have an opinion either way. Um, I think... What you touched on this, Mish, what this shows is that the Tyler Johnson dream is dead, right? Um, and that, you know, Russell Gage is just a reliable player over the middle that Tom Brady can trust to be where he's supposed to be. Um, so I think like if if Godwin isn't ready to go, then he could be a pretty decent plug and start for a dynasty team. Like if, if you're dealing with some injuries or something like that, but if you're going to be relying on Russell gauge and your flex, you might need to think your overall strategy. I don't what know. are you paying for gauge right now in fantasy? Uh, third at best. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay a late second. I so. think the, the whole wide receiver room for the bucks is an open question for me. I mean, there's so many of them now that it makes me worried that all of them are going to see a downtick in value just because, 
it, it there's, there's hey man well tom brady's back so it, it can only go down so much i mean I, I want when the tom brady news hit i was so excited for my mike evans shares because that those were looking bad he's the, he's <laughs> the only one i'm not worried about because he's the only one in that wide receiver room that does what he does all those other guys do the same stuff if you guys were wondering if i was ready to victory lap my gronkowski shares the answer is yes is he I, back no but I'm ready for when he comes back. <laughs> yeah, he, if he comes back, he's definitely coming back to play with Tom. I think it's it's probably impending. It's probably going to come pretty soon. All right, uh, mic check. It is halftime. So as I mentioned, I want to use this halftime space as an opportunity to just kind of keep talking other free agent moves. So each of us will talk about a free agent move that's happened in the last couple of days that has some level of impact or interest for Dynasty. Mitch, why don't we start with you? Thank you, Tarek. All right, guys. Big free agent signing. James White, Patriots. He signed a two-year, $5 million deal. And I know what you may be thinking. James White, who cares? And thank you for asking, dear listener, because I care. Uh, <laughs> every year we do the song and dance with the Patriots running back. And I want to just kill this early right now. We're doing it again. And I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, the questions are going to be, will it be Ramondre? Will it be Damian Harris? Will it be Brandon Bolden, James White? Will the Patriots inexplicably draft a running back in like the third round this year? Uh, the answer to all these questions is yes. And uh, all these dudes are obviously rosterable in Dynasty. And they're probably going to have use for two to three games down the stretch. But I'm not really advocating any of these guys over another because this is just a very crowded room per usual. And they're all going to have their ups and downs. And let's not forget James White has been pretty useful in that offense. And Mac Jones likes to check it down. So he could actually surprise people. Uh, he's rostered in 40% of dynasty leagues. He's... Uh, a decent end of roster guy. We know rostering uh, handcuff running backs is a good strategy in Dynasty. So James White is my guy, and uh, to hell with all of the other Patriots running backs. Well, it's interesting, Mitch, because he, he James White was having this great season before he got injured, and he was a, kind of a Dynasty darling. Like, And then the very next week, he's out for the season. So mm -hmm. uh, I think it says a lot that the Patriots wanted to re-sign him. So I, I like that pick. Breaking news, Mitch, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt our uh, halftime, but the Titans are planning to release Julio Jones, according to Adam Schefter. Oh, well, I think his hamstrings, his hamstrings released himself last year, man. <laughs> I, I can't tell you I'm very heartbroken live on our pod. Should, All right. Should we uh, should we remind ourselves of that uh, Julio trade in that in that league that uh, Mitch is no longer in? No, we we should not. We should <laughs> yeah, not we could we could that. just move on. <laughs> John, give us a free agent move that you think has some level of impact for Dynasty. I am uh, I am interested in CJ Uzama to the Jets from the Bengals. Uh, while it might seem like a lateral move because he's going to remain the tight end one in his offense. I'm not worried about Ryan Griffin of the Jets. He's entering an offense in the Jets, which is which has significantly less talent at the receiving position. Imagine for a moment competing for targets with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. And now imagine competing for targets against Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Braxton Berrios. Uh, it's it's there's less gonna be a lot less competition there in the receiving room. And he's a consistent receiving option. He's been a consistent receiving tight end, 
And that's been a position of need for the Jets for as long as I've been paying attention. So I expect C.J. Uzama to help Zach Wilson develop as an NFL passer the same way that he was helping uh, Joe Burrow last season and the season before. So it's really not hard for me to imagine last year's tight end 19 making a jump closer to tight end 10 this season, which maybe doesn't seem like a big deal in Dynasty, but in tight end premium leagues, that's a solid tight end too. So uh, that's the one I kept my eye on, and uh, I'm going to keep keeping my eye on it. Uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, I said my tight end wish cast was OJ Howard to the Jets. Uh, mm-hmm. So instead, they got another injured tight end. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting, I guess. I, you know, I, I when I talked about OJ Howard, it was about Zach Wilson. Like, I right. just want Zach Wilson to succeed. So, um, yeah. John, John, I love that. You're, you're taking a page out of my book, taking one of those, like top or low 19 top 20 tight ends and putting them into the top 10 all willy-nilly like that like, but you could I, take you could take 10 to 20 and just put them in a bag and mix them up and you're probably going to be right whatever you know, one you pick out yeah. <laughs> but no you bring up a good point though I, I really do think that uzama's got a shot to to start contending with the top 10 guys yeah it's funny that uzama and will disley essentially got the same contract uh after the seahawks Traded for Noah Fant, they paid Will Disley eight million dollars a year. It makes sense. Uh, Lots around. of sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll close out the halftime, and it's funny because when we were preparing for this, I was originally going to do J.D. McKissick to the Bills for two years, seven million dollars, which I thought was interesting because it seemed like a deal that Washington could easily match if they wanted to. And then what do you know? He pulled the D.C. fake out, and he came back to Washington on the same deal. So. What this means to me is that sell window on Devin Singletary that closed really fast over the last 24 hours. I think it just peaked open again. And while I'm sure the Gibson truthers, um, and I'm partially a Gibson truther, I think he's a great player. I think they had 24 hours of ecstasy. I think Washington was probably planning on replacing McKissick in the draft, maybe early day three. So Gibson, he's still about a top 10 dynasty running back for me. Maybe the top five ceiling has been capped a bit, assuming McKissick was gone and the possibility they didn't bring in anyone else of consequence. But, uh, you know, Gibson, like if people are, you know, so disappointed after 24 hours of ecstasy, maybe try to get in and buy Gibson because I still think he's a top 10 dynasty running back. You know, it's it's funny you say that as a I have several shares of Antonio Gibson, and when J.D. McKissick left, I was I, I breathed that sigh of relief because it's not that J.D. McKissick is like competing for like you know rushes with Antonio Gibson. He has a very specific skill set. He's very good catching the ball. Yeah. And so when he went to Buffalo briefly, uh, it it seemed to like free Gibson there. Now. Sending him back, him reversing course there, I, I feel like that actually opens up a buy window. I'm sorry. I feel like that opens a buy window for Singletary uh, just because all the Singletary managers are like shook right now. They they saw that happen <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. And so I feel like they're in this mindset where like the bills, no matter what, are going to re- uh, replace Singletary, which may not happen. Right. Like, let's not yeah. for, like like I just said, McKissick plays a specific role. So if they were to draft a rookie running back that plays that role or something like that, I'd say Singletary would be way less harmed by uh, a rookie player than McKissick coming in and signing a deal. So I don't know. I might be interested now in signing Singletary. 
That yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because I I had mentioned the sell window for Singletary may have just opened back up, and you're saying, hey, maybe also a buy window. So that's the game theory that you kind of have to navigate in your own leagues, right? Just depending on what price you can get and what price you can sell, and who manages what player and what style yeah, of that exactly. manager plays. Yeah, I yeah, honestly, even though I said a sell window opened up, I don't even disagree with you that a, a potential buy window could have opened up as well. That's really interesting. Kind there of there is experiment. an open window. Yeah, the, a, a window is open in one way or another. <laughs> There's a draft going in or out. Who who could say? Just yeah, catch the breeze. All right. <laughs> Let's kick off the second half and we are going to kind of pivot really quickly here um, and kind of leave the free agent market behind for a little bit. I'll, I'll keep checking my phone in case there's any really big drops that we just have to mention. But our plan right now for the second half is we're going to talk rookie quarterbacks, the 2022 class Yay. for the first time and like kind of a concerted way TLG is diving into the 2022 rookies. And before yes. we kind of dig into individual prospects, John, since you are like the resident college football watcher among us, I wanted to ask you to give us your overall impressions about the quarterback class as a group. Because I know the general consensus is that it's a weak class, but is it really just that simple? Uh, I think there's a little bit more nuance to it than that. I don't think there's a day one ready guy like we had the last few years in Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, those kinds of guys. There's not a guy like that. There's a lot of projects. But that being said, the guys at the top of this quarterback list that we're going to be talking about have a ceiling that's just as high as any guy that we had in the last few years. Now, that being said, I don't think if we combine the last two classes, I don't think any of them are going top four quarterbacks. Maybe you take one of them ahead of uh, Mac Jones in retrospect, but it's a relatively weak class, but there's still a lot of potential and there's a lot to justify talking about. So I'm glad we're we're going to dive in deep here. I, th it's, I think it's worthwhile investment. Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, as we're diving into this 2022 rookie class in general, what I am seeing is that there's very little consensus, right? I mean, sure. maybe Brees Hall, there's some consensus but like you basically for this rookie class, it's going to kind of prove analyst prospecting salt in a way because it's a big group and we don't really know who could emerge. Right. So right. getting into the weeds of the prospecting process, I think it's going to it's going to prove uh, it's going to help everybody develop their process a little bit better. All right. So. Uh, let's get into the quarterbacks themselves. I'm going to go down the list of the top five based on who is likeliest to go off the draft board first, and that's according to FanDuel Sportsbook. And the first guy is Malik Willis. And like I said, he's the current betting favorite to be the first QB drafted, and he will almost certainly, even if he's not the first QB drafted in the draft, he'll be the first guy drafted in Dynasty rookie drafts. Quarterback out of Liberty. Uh, he was at Auburn for his first two years. He's a really, really dynamic and elite rushing threat. Had over 1,800 yards in, on the ground the last two years at Liberty. His completion percentage and touchdown to interception ratio as a college player indicates that he's got kind of a ways to go as a passer. But Mitch, I'm going to turn to you because in the 2021 preseason, each of us gave a guy that we'd be watching in college football. Uh, I talked about Garrett Wilson. I think Trey talked about Traylon Burks. 
And Malik Willis was your guy. And you said something to the effect that I think he's got a shot to go number one overall in the 2022 draft. The three of us were skeptical of that. And it seems like you're not going to be very far off. So what did you see from Malik? Well, let's start here with guys that were considered projects were players like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and players like that. Like those players didn't go very quickly in their respective drafts. Uh, Like Josh Allen, for fuck's sake, Sam Darnold went before him. But I digress here. Um, I don't think that this class is as bad as we're saying. But what I saw in Malik Willis was a weaker class, as we were saying. But I saw that he had that big, strong, fast, dual-threat quarterback in this week class. And that's important in fantasy football more than anything is that rushing upside. So if he has it and nobody else does, uh, that that's just huge for him. So um, all of that being said, too, I felt like his value is pretty insulated in Liberty because he's not playing against crazy competition. And he didn't really need to go absolutely wild to increase his draft stock either. And he didn't really go wild. He managed, like you said, a 56.5 completion percentage against pretty weak competition. But what we're looking at is how his skill set translates to the NFL. And so I'm not really worried about that passing completion percentage because the dude can fly. I mean, the dude is like, he's big. He's he's getting Michael Vick comparisons, like 6'1", 220. I mean, he obviously wears a number seven and he's fast as fuck. But like, he's built too. Like, he's a big dude. And so that makes me feel good in regards to him running and taking hits. So like you said, he's number one in a super flex rookie draft for me. And I think for a lot of people, but there's a lot left to go in this process too, like where he gets taken in the NFL draft. And I'm going to say this about every prospect we, we talk about today, especially with the quarterbacks, like it really matters, like who takes them. Um, does he have the ability to sit for a year or do they just throw him to the wolves and he's just running around like crazy? Uh, does he get, does he land somewhere where a coach is like going to take his skill set and evolve it similar to the way that uh, Lamar Jackson is coached in um, Baltimore? So yeah, or Josh Allen, like with Brian Dayball, you know, did such a good job right, with Josh Allen. Absolutely. So, you know, like I, I could see Detroit, Taking Malik Willis, we were talking Detroit earlier. I think that would be great. But I'm super excited for Malik Willis. I think that he's going to be a good NFL player, like a good NFL quarterback. And I'm excited to see where he goes. So, you know, if he's leading the weak class, that that makes the class a little less weak to me. Yeah, and John, I think Malik Willis really improved his draft stock at the Senior Bowl. Um, which, you know, senior bowl is a lot of noise in terms of dynasty value, but in terms of like draft stock guys can really make money there. And I think he was the talk of the town at the senior bowl and, um, at the combine, like apparently his interviews were amazing. Like he seems like a really amazing person. Um, so yeah. Uh, what do you think about Malik Willis? I think that he has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this class by far. He's got the best legs and the best arm. My concern is the accuracy. So uh, we we saw the arm. We saw all the athletic stuff in the combine. It was very, very impressive. But he was not a very good decision maker in college. And I'm worried about the uh, accuracy issues. So in the same way I was worried about the accuracy issues 
with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. I, I, the only reason I bring those guys up is because he's a running quarterback, so that's going to be the natural comparison. But I think he's a very different quarterback than those two because he's got a much better arm than those two. So if he can develop, he, I think his ceiling is higher than both Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. It's going to matter who's developing him, as Mitch mm-hmm. said. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. He's not my number one in this class right now because I don't think he's the most ready, but I think he's got the best ceiling and that's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, he, um, he's got a cannon, that's for sure. Um, I I think basically if he gets drafted, you know, top eight in the NFL draft, um, he's going to be my 101 for Superflex, right? I think Brees Hall is really tantalizing because he's a really good running back prospect, but Malik Willis with top 10 draft insulation and his rushing upside, he's going to have three years essentially to play. Even if he is not a good NFL quarterback, he will be a good fantasy quarterback. So So I know we're still early in this process, but some leagues do in fact draft their rookies before the NFL rookie draft. Are you telling me that you would lean Brees Hall over Malik Willis right now? If you had no. a draft today, no, I would still take Malik Willis. It's just that if he gets drafted top ten in the NFL draft, which is what I expect, mm-hmm. um, he's going to firm up him, gotcha. himself as one hundred and one. Um, so I'm leaning Malik Willis over Brees Hall in Superflex rookie drafts right now, um, and I think that's probably how it's going to stay. Even though I, I love Brees Hall, John, can I ask you? Since you said this isn't even your quarterback one, ask me. Ask me the question again, please. The uh, first. First pick in a Superflex draft right now. Yeah, so I've been struggling with that a lot because I am I overvalue. I think I overvalue quarterbacks in Superflex, and I have always been of the camp you always take quarterbacks in rookie drafts. This might be the first year where I don't. So uh, I'm actually leaning towards Garrett Wilson or Traylon wow. Brooks first overall right now, just because I feel like they're the more surefire thing. And if I'm at 101. I don't want to necessarily take a gamble, you even don't if it is. It. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to yeah. totally fuck it up. And there's a chance that uh, Willis falls flat on his face, and I, I'm not sure that's a chance I'm willing to take at 101. Okay, so let's move on from Willis to the second betting favorite uh, off the board, which is Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. So this is a super senior, uh, and he took a massive step in his fifth year playing for the Pittsburgh. Panthers. Uh, He threw for 4,300 yards on 8.7 yards per attempt, 42 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. And he added 233 rushing yards, which really is not a bad rushing baseline for the modern NFL. So, John, the talk about Kenny Pickett the last few months has been so dominated by his hand size that I feel like I that's all I know about him. So putting that aside, as the college football guy, tell me, is Kenny Pickett any good or does he just have small hands? <laughs> he does have smaller than average hands. That's true. But he is at, <laughs> he right now, if, if I had to pick one today, he'd be my quarterback one of this class right now. Okay. Uh, now, what they didn't say was that he's the tallest guy. Uh, he's 6'3", and uh, that's a good size for the uh, at the NFL. It's a bit taller than the other guys we're going to talk about here, and I think that does make a difference in the long run. It does. Uh, but that's not the reason that he's my quarterback one. Right now, he's, my, he's the guy that I'm taking first because he is the most NFL-ready. He is the only one of these guys we're going to talk about that actually played in an NFL-style 
uh, read the defense kind of offense. So he. So so what you're saying is he's the Josh Rosen of this class. <laughs> oh the god. Fruit. Oh man. That, that one I, I had to get it in god. there. I had to get it. Colloquially, that's what I still get too when I hear pro ready. I think about Sam Darnold, and then I start yeah. seeing ghosts and of Josh Rosen. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, go know, on, it, John. Well, okay, but it, you know, Darnold, he went out early, and this guy's been in a system for a while. You know, he's proved that he can he can think through, he can make the reads. And he's a pocket passing kind of guy that has legs. He can get out. He reminds me, not, I don't want to draw this comparison, but he does remind me a little bit of Justin Herbert in that way. Uh, he's got, he can make all the right decisions and he can mo- use his legs when he has to. That said, I don't think he has the highest ceiling, as I've already mentioned, but I think that he has the best chance of success if he has to start day one. And that's why he's my QB one right now. Uh, I think he's the best decision maker. Not that he's a great decision maker, but he's the best of this group and that he's ready to go day one. I, I agree with you, John. I do. I I think that he's up there in that conversation. I don't think that he's the QB1 for me, but he's got to be at least talked about. Now, the the rushing yards, that that dissuades me from fantasy value, and that will never let him enter that quarterback one in this class conversation for me. I think that he's more of like a 2A or 2B but uh, I do think that, like you mentioned, he does have legs. So I agree with you there. He he does have legs attached to his torso. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's what, what I was mean. I, I don't know. If he, I've uh, seen him run, sure. Let's, but let's not forget about the fake slide. That was like the greatest move yeah, in NCAA the fake history. Slide. Yeah, that was a pretty athletic move there. So, I don't think I yeah. could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of rubber need that. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't feel like I know enough about Pickett to really make a take either way. Uh, he he kind of seems like the guy that had a really good final year in college and really improved his draft stock, right? So like it looks like he's going to get taken in the first round, probably in the first 20 picks. It'd be interesting if he fell to Pittsburgh or like Pittsburgh traded up for him potentially to get him to stay there. Pitt to uh, Pittsburgh, I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll just we'll we'll just have to see. I mean, I'm a little bit lower on him in relation to the rest of the class just because of um while he has a rushing baseline, I think the other guys are more dynamic rushers. So Yeah. I think yeah. there are situations like Pittsburgh that would put him in a very good situation and bump him up to potentially that QB one, I guess. Like, say, uh, Malik went somewhere where he was like a clear backup for a couple years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, like, th- it really does matter where these players land. Yeah. Well, even if he went to the Lions, like, if he could sit under the tutelage of Jared Goff for a year, I think that would be really good for him because I don't, I think he's a pretty similar quarterback. They do the same co- sorts of things. Yeah. The, the Lions, I, I think. It'd be a big reach to draft him at two, but if they and he probably won't be there at like 32 or whenever like their Rams pick is, which is the last pick of the first round. So maybe if they could like trade back or something and and take Pickett, that would be interesting. But uh, anyway, let's move on to the third likeliest guy to go off the board, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, and that is Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. So. This is a dual threat guy. He got over 500 yards on the ground each of the last two years, which is really nice. And the raw numbers, they look pretty good if you look at yards per attempt and completion percentage. I think in 2020, he had over 10 yards per attempt uh, back when he was playing with Elijah Moore. 
Uh, he came into the combine bigger than expected, which is a plus because he seems to run with reckless abandon. And before the combine, I was thinking I was seeing that Matt Corral might come in at like 185, but I think he came in at like 210, 212. So I was happy to see that. But Mitch, what is your read on Matt Corral? Uh, Corral is my quarterback 2A in this class, Pickett being my 2B, uh, because unlike Kenny Pickett, he doesn't have tiny little itty bitty baby hands. No, no. I, I, I'm glad that you brought up that he looked bigger at the combine because it did scare me that reckless abandon at you know 180. But 200, it's it's less scary. But 210, yeah, that he's starting to put some meat on his bones. You love to see it, and he's got a nose yeah. for the first down marker in the end zone. And running the ball is certainly a thing he is not afraid to do. So. Like, that's, again, like I mentioned, a quarterback that I am interested in uh, having some shares in in fantasy. So um, he's a player that's looking to continue using his legs in the NFL. Fantasy perspective, Konami code, win. Matt Corral, uh, I would say, funny that John mentioned this, would be the guy that I think is most likely ready to start right away. Um, and he's had impressive moments passing the ball. Like, so I... I was a little surprised at times. It looked like he didn't have a lot of pace on the football, but then it looked like he was able to dial that up. Sometimes he rips it. So um, I think he just has pretty good control over his intermediate throws. So um, I'm going to roll the dice on picking Matt Corral myself if he lands in that good situation. And I know that that's the, the topic of the evening, right? But um, if, if he were to land with the uh, the Panthers, if the Panthers don't land um, Deshaun Watson or even like the Falcons, the Saints, I you know, the, the list goes on. Yeah. And I could see him being in a good position to just take the reins right away and uh, start putting up fantasy points right away. So, John, what are the concerns with Matt Corral? Well, if uh, if you listened last year, you know, I had some concerns about a guy that I think is very similar from the last class, and that's Zach Wilson. If you like Zach Wilson, I think you like hmm. Matt Corral. Now, full disclosure. I do like Zach I Wilson. Like Zach Wilson. <laughs> full disclosure, I, I had Matt Corral as my QB1 probably three or four months ago, and he's kind of moved down ever since the combine and all of that uh, to my 1C. Uh, he's still up. He's still my one, just not he's tied for one now. Uh, but he, he does remind me of another SEC quarterback that was this gunslinger mentality. And that's Johnny Manziel, a little bit undersized, willing to take sh the shots. Um, and we know that those guys, they can make it in the NFL on occasion. And sometimes they don't. So I think that he's a good player. I like him a lot. It's just going to be a matter of can you make the transition from the air raid offense that he's running in college to uh, more pro uh, pro offense. So I don't know. I, I like Matt Corral and I think he's got all the upside in the world, um, but he is a little undersized and uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see where he ends up, like Mitch says, uh, but those gunslingers are kind of, you know, flip a coin with them nowadays. I feel like the NFL is evolving though and this whole like translation from an air raid to an NFL offense has at least kind of meshed together right like some offenses are running very like complicated college systems like yeah spreads yeah. and whatnot so like if the coach can uh, like accommodate sure. the system to to corral's skill set like you know that that's what we need to see otherwise yeah, yeah like a player like him's gonna start running into walls too many times yeah, and we've seen it with Lamar Jackson, right? If you got a coach that's not too hard-headed, if you got a coach that's going to value what his skill set is, then yeah, I could definitely see him being very successful. 
Um, and I, I'm rooting for him because, uh, like I said, he was my number one going into this process. So I'm rooting for him. Yeah, it kind of seems like the NFC South teams that don't get Deshaun Watson are going to be really interesting teams to watch in the draft for quarterbacks, <clears> right? Because all three outside of Tampa Bay are in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And by the time we post this episode, we could see it. But I re- I would love Matt Corral on the Saints. The Colts, that would be, the Colts would be yeah. cool too. Yeah, the Colts would be cool. Uh, and he, he'd have some time uh, potentially there. Uh, depending on kind of what they do with their with their starting position. I, I really like him on the Saints. I think mm-hmm. that would be a really good situation for him with a good offensive line, a good kind of culture. Sean Payton isn't there anymore, but like I'm I'm sure his like Mike Thomas might be helpful. Right, right. So I, I would love to see Matt Corral on the Saints. He I, I'm gonna at the end of us talking about these top five guys, I'm gonna ask each of us to do a linear ranking of them. But I will say that Matt Corral is my quarterback too right now behind Malik Willis. Cool. All right. Uh let's move on to the fourth guy on our list, who is the fourth likeliest guy to go off the board, according to the sports books, and that is Sam Howell out of North Carolina. So this is a guy who broke out at a tr- as a true freshman in 2019, um, and he played you know similarly well in 2020. Um, then he lost Deami Brown, he lost Javante Williams, he lost Michael Carter. I think what was it? Daz Newsom was another. Who was another? There was one other like UNC receiver that got drafted last year. Basically, he lost his entire offense and he took a step back as a passer. But last year, what was crazy is he really took a step forward as a rusher. He had over 800 yards rushing in his junior year after not really like using his legs that much the very first few years. And that's pretty wild to me. So, John, what are your thoughts on the Tar Heel Sam Howell? Well, he was the if you follow the Debbie analyst community, he was the Debbie darling for a number of years uh, coming in. He was the quarterback for the 22 class for a number of years. And he's kind of taken a step back in the Debbie community uh, just because of what you'd mentioned that this last season wasn't great. Uh, I was jokingly saying that he was destined to be a snow donkey for the last (laughs) few months until they got Russell Wilson because he kind of profiles as that kind of guy that they like to draft that overdraft this guy that, you know, has some skills, but probably isn't your prototypical NFL quarterback. And that's that's what I think Sam Howell is. I think that he he can make the throws and that he can use his feet a little bit. Uh, but I don't see him as an NFL ready guy. Um, he's I think he's his most likely outcome is that he's like a long term backup. Uh, but that that doesn't mean that he couldn't start somewhere. So he, like I said, he's got a good arm. He's got good legs. The the only questions I have is his decision making process because it seems like when he gets nervous, he's either taken off or he's just like chucking it downfield as far as he can. <laughs> uh, and, and for some, like if he if he did end up with the Broncos, for instance, like that'd be really good for a guy like Cortland, Cortland Sutton. But um, that's not a recipe for success in the NFL. So if he is taken early, I'll be interested to see the weapons around him because uh, he's definitely, he definitely seems to favor that vertical threat. Um, but he does not a check down guy and he's definitely not a read your defense kind of guy. So if he can develop into that quarterback, I'll be interested because it does seem like he has a lot of the tools. Uh, but right now I would not consider him an NFL ready prospect. 
So, John, I love that analysis, man, because, like, if you turn on any tape of Sam Howell, like, the first thing he's doing is launching the ball as far as he can downfield. Like, no matter what tape you open, that's just his signature move, and that's not a bad quality to have, right? Not for fantasy. Yeah, right. Well, or for football. Like, if you're an NFL team and you're looking at this dude who can just sling it, like, you know how infatuated teams get over players that can launch it. Where's Jamarcus Russell throwing the ball half a field on his knees, you know? Right. Um, But Sam Howell's really good at hitting wide open receivers, and you really don't know, like, how how that's going to translate to the NFL, right? Like, those windows are a lot smaller, and that's what scares me as well. But, I mean, if you can blend that deep 50-50 ball with some good wide receivers and use that running skill that he has, like like you said, John, I think he could potentially develop. And so players like Sam Howell are making me hesitant to say that this is a weak class because, like, I can see scenarios where these guys are, like, legit starters and under the right circumstances could evolve as a NFL QB. And Sam Howell is, like... He's growing on me. I don't know what to do with him quite yet. So right now he's, yeah. I, I think uh, I've lost track, maybe QB like three or four, but like he's a really intriguing prospect. I was just going to say like my idiot brain essentially sees like a true freshman breakout, right? And then a junior season in which he runs for over 800 yards and like my eyes pop out of my school mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh my God, like this guy could be fantasy gold. But I think the NFL is not extremely excited about Sam Howell. Like, I think he has just as good of a chance as going day two as he has day one. Like, when I'm, if I'm looking at like a lot of NFL mock drafts. Um, But there's all, it just takes one team to like fall in love with his potential, right? And he could go top 15. Well, that's the other thing, man. There's so many vacancies right now. There's an absurd yeah. amount of vacancies for starting quarterback in the NFL, more than I can think I've ever seen. Yeah, and the, the only thing that I think is going to stop that from happening is he, he doesn't necessarily have the size. He's six one. He doesn't necessarily have the speed of the other guys. He can run, but he's not as good of a runner as the other guys. And he doesn't necessarily throw it as well as the other guys as well. Yeah. So I think he's going to fall to third or fourth on a lot of NFL teams' boards. Uh, but, you know, that they could fall in love. I just, I'm not entirely sure what they're falling yeah. in love with. I the One of the really big faults that, like, tape analysts that I pay attention to have said with Sam Howell is that he just, like, hyper locks in on his first read. <laughs> yeah. And if, yeah. And if the first read is not there, he's taken off, right? So right. I think that's that, fair. That is not something that translates very well to the nfl um, unless unless you can like throw it over all the safeties and hit your first read and so yeah or or if you're like a really really elite athlete right um and i don't think sam howell howell is necessarily either of those things i mean we we will see like i think the book is still very open on sam howell what I'm trying to articulate is that like my idiot brain looking at the numbers is going to get really excited about Sam Howell. But then I kind of have to temper myself and think like he's got some holes in his profile. I don't think I think a lot of NFL teams are not into him. Right. So we'll just kind of have to see where he lands. Right. All right. Uh, speaking of a guy who's got a lot of holes in his profile, the fifth guy that we're going to talk about here is Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. Um, he's kind of picked up some steam recently because 
uh, he had a really good combine. He he ran four five two in the forty that turned heads, and he's kind of known as an athlete, but one with a very suspect arm. Uh, but he led a good Cincinnati team to the college football playoff in twenty twenty one behind about thirty three hundred passing yards, thirty touchdowns, and eight interceptions, along with three hundred fifty five yards on the ground. So Mitch, like I said, Ritter been a bit of a riser in dynasty circles as far as I've seen since the combine. But what are your thoughts about Ritter? Ritter had the best college team last year and he commanded it well uh, out of the group of quarterbacks that we have here. Uh, I got to watch a couple of Cincy games and they look like a well-oiled machine out there, Ritter included. So I can see him thriving in a good system, but I can most likely see him washing out in an average or worse system. So Again, I really need to see where he lands. I'm not super excited about him because I think that he requires a lot of a lot of work and the right situation. But uh, his arm, just like you said, it, it looked pretty suspect at times and just didn't inspire a lot of confidence in uh, my evaluation of him. So I, I'm going to need to hear more from like NFL coaches and wherever he lands before I start to uh, dig any deeper into Ritter. Yeah, John, speaking of like the well-oiled machine of the Cincinnati team, uh, one of the plus marks in Desmond Ritter's column that I've heard is that he's like an incredible leader. Um, Mm -hmm. But I honestly, I don't know much about Ritter, but what are your thoughts? Well, I've watched him for a number of years because that Cincinnati team has been on the verge for a number of years, and they finally broke through as a playoff team this year. And what I saw of Ritter this year, remind, and I'm going to temper this because Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, but I, I saw a lot of Lamar Jackson's college tape in Desmond Ritter. Like, he can run, and he he looks the part, but when it comes to throwing, he's throwing at people's feet. And that's going to be the biggest thing about Ritter, is that can he actually connect with his wide receivers? Because that's, that's why they lost in the college football playoff, is he couldn't connect those passes in those high-pressure situations. That said... I like Ritter a lot. Uh, he's my number four in this class right now, ahead of Howell. Uh, so I think that he's got a lot of potential, but the accuracy is a big, big, big question mark. So it's going to take a team that's willing to develop him, essentially, and teach him the part and how to be calm in those high-pressure situations. Because in Cincinnati, you're not in a lot of high-pressure situations. And when he was in the college football playoff, it looked like he had never been there before. So that's what I'm looking out for. I have a lot of hope for him, and I like him as a player. Um, a lot better than some of these guys that are a little bit more polished right now. Uh, that said, we should probably mention that a lot of the community has Carson Strong as their uh, QB5. And I think we're all in agreement that we didn't talk about him because we don't think he's the QB5 in this particular uh, no, class. Uh, he he might not even be QB6. It's just that we don't really have a longer list of names than six right now. Uh, and I just wanted to mention that Carson Strong, while he w- did have some, some success at Nevada, uh, he's the po- pocket passing type that looks good to NFL analysts, but I don't expect him to be any more than a, than a backup. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail the conversation about Ritter, but I wanted to throw that in there as well. Oh, that's okay. I, I do... I want to like push for a little bit of clarification and maybe it's just like anticipating somebody hearing like a Lamar Jackson comp. Yeah. Because you said, you know, he looked like Lamar Jackson in a lot of ways. 
um, maybe with play style. But, you know, obviously 355 yards rushing is like not a Lamar Jackson stat. So can I just push you to clarify a little bit more? Like, what do you mean when you say he reminded you of Lamar Jackson tape? Uh, so what I what I said and I should have clarified was that he looked the part. So he's six three. He's a fairly well bit built guy, and he looks like he's the best player on the field. Uh, so what? And I'm talking from an athletic standpoint, the same way that uh, Lamar Jackson. So when Lamar Jackson was playing for Louisville, he didn't necessarily look like a great quarterback, but he looked like the best player on the field, and that's what I saw in Desmond Ritter as well. Like he's an extreme athlete, and given the right opportunity. I think he could excel. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's Lamar Jackson, just different, you know, like yeah. he's, he's so different that it's like hard for me to even process what you're saying. But from that standpoint, like generally just like looked like the best player on the field in yes. most games yes. other than that college football playoff game. Okay. I can, I can accept like, that. Uh, okay. So the reason I draw the comparison is like, this is this athlete that could win the Heisman trophy, but isn't necessarily a great quarterback. That's that's okay. the comparison I was trying to draw there. And thank okay. you for clarifying that. And now but we know Lamar Jackson is a, is, is a great quarterback. Right? And he is now, but he wasn't yeah. necessarily that first season when he got drafted, right? True, true. Yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. Okay, so before we close out the show, I'm just going to put each of us on the spot, and I want to ask all of you to just give us your initial top five quarterback rankings for the 2022 class. Um, so who wants to go first? I'll take it away, boys. All right. Uh, I got Malik Willis, uh, unquestioned QB1. Um, there's no 1B here. Uh, I have Matt Corral, QB2, and we'll call it 2A because I think Kenny Pickett is a good quarterback 2B, but we'll call him quarterback 3. Um, and Sam Howell, quarterback 4. Now, I'm not as low as you guys seem to be. I think that he has the potential to rise on my list and potentially the NFL's list, depending on what happens. And uh, I know you guys talked about Desmond Ritter for about 20 minutes there, but uh, I still think he sucks. (laughs) So uh, we're going to put him at quarterback five. Okay. All right. So I'll go next. I got Malik Willis on question 101 in Superflex Leagues as well. Um, next I'm going to go with Matt Corral. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. He's my QB two. And before the draft here, just because of the tools that I've seen and because of like his dual threat ability and because like he, he seems to be a, a reasonably efficient passer as well. I've got him kind of two on his own right now. Then, uh, I got Howell and Pickett kind of in a tier. And that's just going to depend on landing spot. Like if Howell, if a team falls in love with him and he goes top 15, I'm going to prefer him over mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett. Um, and then, yeah, I got Desmond Ritter fifth. I think Ritter still has a good chance to go in the first round, so he's going to command uh, some value in Superflex leagues. But after Willis, like I'll take Corral in the middle of the first round if I was doing a rookie draft before the NFL draft. And the other three, they're more like end of first round picks for me. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would prefer going running back or receiver to them. I agree with you there. Okay. okay, well, let me tell you all that you're wrong. We'll start there. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I want to just start from the perspective that you ended there. So like Superflex rookie draft, one, two, and three for me would be Kenny Pickett, Willis, and then Corral. I'm going one, two, three there in a Superflex rookie draft. Bam, one, two, three quarterbacks. 
Um, I don't know where I'm taking Ritter, probably at the end of the first, but he's my fourth. And then Howell would be fifth somewhere in the second round. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I'm the I'm the picket guy here, I guess. That's how it's going to be, and that's okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like what I was saying earlier about this class being kind of a clusterfuck. It's like a mire of players that, you know, they all have upside, right? And and we'll get into this as we talk the running backs and the wide receivers as well. It's making me feel like having second and third round picks in this draft is a pretty good place to be because you can just take a whole bunch of shots, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, it was fun finally kind of diving into a part of the rookie class here for 2022. Um, I think next week we're talking running backs. Oh um, boy. So yeah. And, and that's another kind of deep class. Uh, it's it, obviously not as top heavy as the last couple, but there, there's some names to talk about. So uh, we will get into that next week. Any final words? Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to episode 47 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We'll see y'all next week. Later, Bye-bye. guys. Bye-bye.